The lectionary readings around Christmas are fascinating, especially this year. Every year for the Sunday before the Nativity, the Church has us read the genealogy from Matthew. This reading forces us to consider the entirety of the Old Testament, especially in light of Christ's upcoming birth. Then, for the Sunday after the Nativity, at least this year, the Church has us celebrate St. Stephen. Now, normally St. Stephen is celebrated two days after Christmas, but this year that also happens to be the Sunday after Christmas. But back to our topic. The lectionary reading for St. Stephen comes from Acts, where his story is found. In that reading, we hear his speech to the Judeans, which is essentially a summary of the Old Testament. So for two Sundays in a row, the Sunday before Christmas and the Sunday after Christmas, we've heard summaries of the Old Testament. This is a reminder that Jesus can never be separated from the Old Testament. The bottom line? Understanding Jesus in light of the Old Testament puts him and his teaching into context. And this year, St. Stephen helps us do it. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to another episode of The Way Podcast. I'm Father Dustin, your host. Last week, my podcast fell on Christmas, and this week, my podcast falls on St. Basil Day, which is the 1st of January, or the New Year, according to the secular calendar. As most of you know, the church calendar begins its New Year in September, so this isn't the New Year for the church, but it is in our secular world, how most of us live our lives following that calendar. Though today is the celebration of St. Basil, I would like to make my remarks about St. Stephen, who we celebrated last Sunday. St. Stephen is considered the proto-martyr. Proto-martyr meaning the first martyr within Christendom. And martyr, of course, is a Greek word that means witness. So, what are martyrs witnesses to? Well, The way we think about it, at least in English, is martyrs are those who have died for Christ. So they are witnesses of Christ through their own death. They gave of themselves for the sake of the kingdom. And so that's why we consider them martyrs or witnesses of the faith. And in fact, in some ways, you can say that the martyrs gave their lives in the same way that Christ gave his life. In other words, they were sacrificed or their lives were taken from them for the kingdom of God. They gave their lives for others. And in this way, they're also witnesses for Christ, or witnesses for God, or God's kingdom. Now, Stephen himself is a fascinating figure. As I said, he's considered the proto-martyr, the first martyr, and his story is found in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. And you can learn all about him. Now, first off, he was a deacon, Now, deacon is a Greek word that essentially means servant, and this is a different word than the sort of servant we heard about in our Orthodox Christian leadership initiative. There, the word servant is doulos, which literally means slave. 
Now, this is the same word that we get when we approach the chalice for communion. So when you come to communion, as the priest is giving you the body and blood of Christ, he says, the servant of God, and then your name. And there in Greek, it, it literally is the slave of God. And it was the same thing in our leadership series. We're talking about what it means to be a slave or a servant leader, a slave leader, a doulos leader. But here, deacon is another word for servant. But this sort of servant is a little different. This is specifically a servant who waited on tables. So if you go to a restaurant, it would be a deacon who comes and takes your order and serves your food. And so it says in Acts that as the apostles got busy doing ministry, they needed helpers. They created what they called the deacons. Of course, today, deacon is a liturgical word referring to someone of a particular ordination level. You have readers, then subdeacons, then deacons, then priests, then bishops. And it's the deacon within the liturgy that does all the physical aspects, the serving. He kind of serves the priest at the altar. He's the one that does the litanies. He's the one who technically brings out communion and is supposed to distribute it to the people. And historically, this is probably what the deacons did, is they would bring communion to the shut-ins within the community, to those who were sick. And this is also why the Orthodox Church has female deacons though it's not used very often today. In antiquity, we know we had a lot of female deaconesses. And probably what they did is they would bring communion, especially to the widows within the community who couldn't make it to church. Deaconesses is an entirely different topic, so I won't go too much into that. But what we do know is that St. Stephen was one of these deacons, these people who served the community. His name also is very interesting. It means crowned. Now, you think, oh, what a nice name, St. Stephen the Crowned, or, or the Crowned One, something like that. Because the name means crowned, it makes you wonder whether this was actually his birth name, or rather, this was a name given to him by Luke in the book of Acts. And what makes me say that? We know from Revelation that the martyrs receive their crowns. And if Stephen is a martyr, we know that he has received his crown. And so, it makes me wonder if St. Luke gave him the name Stephen after he was martyred, when St. Luke was talking about him, gave him this name. So, in other words, what St. Luke is saying is, this first martyr is the crowned one, precisely because of his martyrdom. But whether his birth name was Stephen or not, we remember him as Stephen, the crowned one, as St. Stephen, the proto-martyr. And this year, we celebrated him on the Sunday after Christmas. So now I want to take you into part of that reading that we read on Sunday. And as I said, it comes from Acts. And the reading isn't one long reading. It's kind of broken up into manageable chunks. And so it actually comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, verses 8 through 15, then we jump to chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then we jump to verses 47 through 60. So it kind of breaks it up into manageable chunks. But if you would like, you can go to Acts and you can read the entire story, and you can read perhaps one of the first sermons given after Christ's death. And it's preserved in the lectionary in bits, but you can read the whole thing in the book of Acts. So, here's a little bit of that sermon, and St. Stephen is talking to the other Judeans in Jerusalem. 
He's talking to the high priest specifically. And St. Stephen says, Brethren and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Depart from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land which I will show you. Then he departed from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him in possession and to his posterity after him, though he had no child. So I'm going to stop there. I think this paragraph, the one I just read, is a very perfect indication of why we celebrate St. Stephen two days after Christmas, or this year, the Sunday after Christmas. In this reading, Stephen talks about Abraham, and he talks specifically about Abraham's faith or trust that he put in God. God asked him to leave his homeland and go into the promised land. And there's two points here that I think connect it to Christmas. The first is this idea of having trust in God or being loyal to God. In Greek, that's the same word, pistis. It means trust or loyalty, or you could even translate it as faith or belief. All of those are the same word. My point is is that Stephen is stressing that trust that Abraham had by leaving his homeland and going into this promised land. Why would this be connected to Christmas? Well, because Christ is like Abraham in the sense that if Christ's homeland is heaven, if you want to think about it this way, that he is divine, God of God, true light of true light, he has to leave his homeland and enter into a promised land, another land that God is showing him. In other words, this is what we see in the incarnation of Christ, if you want to think about it this way. Christ leaving his homeland or heaven and being born into another land. He has trust in God. Or another way of thinking about it is Christ brings God's law from the divine realm into the human realm. The law leaves its homeland with God and enters into our land. And in the text, Stephen stresses this by saying, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Now, historically, we know this is talking about uh, modern-day Israel or Jerusalem, Judea, Judah, however you want to translate that. But you can also think about Christ doing the same thing. God removed him from there into this land in which we are now living. In other words, God has entered into our world, our fallen, corrupted world. But then Stephen goes on and he says, Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him in possession and to his posterity after him, though he had no child. I think that's a very interesting line. He gave him no inheritance in it. Now that sounds strange because the way we talk about the promised land or we talk about Israel is that it belongs to the Judeans. It belongs to them. But it says here, he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him in possession and to his posterity. In other words, Abraham was to be a steward. And it's by God's promise that they were able to live in the land. But the land always belongs to God. 
And it's the same thing. We are given to Christ. When we're baptized and become Christians, we become the inheritance. We become Christ's possession, if you think about it in that way. And so in this way, God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled, and Abraham becomes the father of many, or of all nations. And we talked about that last week in the podcast. But you see how this is starting to play out in Stephen's speech. And what he's talking about is the inheritance of the world to Christ, or us becoming Christ's possession, depending on how you want to think about it. And then Stephen goes on. If you're reading this in Acts, you read about the other patriarchs, and you read about Moses. But in the lectionary reading, it jumps to Solomon. And so I'll go to that, because I think this also has a connection to Christmas. And so St. Stephen says, But it was Solomon who built a house for him. This is being God. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made with hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and earth my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So St. Stephen reminds the Judeans that God doesn't dwell in the stone temple built in Jerusalem. Now, the temple in the first century served many different purposes. It was not only a religious institution, but it was also a political institution, as well as a banking or economic institution. The elites of this time, including both King Herod and his sons, and the Sadducees, who was the temple leadership at the time, were suppressing the people. They had found ways to tax the people in order to build their own wealth. And so the temple was very oppressive. So it's no surprise that Christ is very anti-temple, if you want to think about that. And it's no surprise that Stephen here reminds the people that God doesn't dwell in the temple. But it also falls in the story with the rest of the Old Testament. So originally, when Moses built the tent, or the tabernacle, it was a sign of God's presence among the people. And then when Solomon builds the temple, that's the idea that it was God's presence among the people. But this became a problem when the people were exiled out of Jerusalem and the Holy Land into Assyria and Babylon. How could a stone temple follow the people? How could God be present with the people if he dwelt in a temple? Well, the answer is God really doesn't dwell in temples. God dwells wherever he wants to. But how does this connect with Christmas? Well, part of the story of Christmas, or part of the theology of Christmas, is that God doesn't dwell in the temple. He now dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives us the law. He makes God present through his teaching, which is proclaimed every Sunday in the gospel reading, in the epistle reading, in the homily, and the divine service. So God doesn't dwell in the temple. He dwells among his people when his word is proclaimed. And so this is emphasized. And this is the point of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with the people. God doesn't dwell in the temple anymore. He dwells within the community of the church. 
And of course, at Christmas, this is emphasized, especially when you think about God becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ, being born in Bethlehem, which, by the way, means house of bread. It's a Eucharistic reference. Even St. John, in his opening chapter, drives home this point, because he says, and God came and dwelt among us. But in Greek, that's not what it says. The word dwelt literally means, and God tented among his people, this tent being a reference to the tabernacle, that God dwells among his people. And now that tent, or the temple, if you will, is not a stone building, but Jesus Christ and the teaching that he gives us through scripture, through the gospel. And St. Stephen is reminding us of that. So then he continues with the same idea. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. So St. Stephen is holding the feet of the religious leaders to the fire. He's saying that they resist the Holy Spirit, which is the real dwelling place of God. And they do not follow the law. In other words, God is present among them through Scripture, through His teaching. And they're ignoring it. And they aren't keeping the law. So, how can God be dwelling among them? If He's not dwelling among them and they aren't listening to the Holy Spirit, there's no way He's dwelling in the temple. They're just using that as a way of oppressing the people to make themselves wealthier. What matters is the teaching What matters is the teaching given to us by Christ through Scripture. That's how God is present among His people. That's how Christ is incarnate today. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and dwells among us. And that's why we can celebrate liturgy anywhere. We don't have to celebrate liturgy specifically in Jerusalem or Constantinople. I can celebrate liturgy here in DeKalb, and you can celebrate liturgy wherever you are. It's because the Holy Spirit dwells where the Word is proclaimed. So, this next part, and this is how the lectionary reading ends on Sunday, it goes from Stephen's speech to Stephen's fate. And here's what it says in Acts. Now, when they heard these things... They were enraged, and this is the high priest and the other Sadducees and religious leaders. It says, And they ground their teeth against him. But St. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed upon him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And that's how the epistle reading ended on Sunday. It ended with how Stephen becomes Stephen, how he receives his crown, which is in martyrdom. And notice how his martyrdom is spoken about in the same way that Christ was martyred or crucified, including this prayer that Stephen has, 
of forgiving those who were putting him to death, forgiving the murderers in the same way that Christ forgave those who crucified him. Now, there's also this other figure, and it says, Witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So who is this Saul? Well, my astute listeners will start screaming, That's Paul! That's Paul! As we all know, the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, went by Saul. And Paul, when he was Saul, was a persecutor of Christians. It was only after he had his Damascus experience, when he encountered Christ, that he changes his name to Paul, which means little one. And it's very interesting, because there's a connection to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Now here Paul is chastising the Corinthians, because they've broken themselves into different fractions. And what Paul says to the Corinthians is, I am thankful that I never baptized any of you after Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say he was baptized in my name. In other words, what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm glad that I didn't baptize you, because instead of saying you're a Christian, you would be saying, I'm Pauline. And Paul's saying, you don't belong to Paul. You don't belong to the person who baptized you. You belong to Christ, no matter who baptized you. And because we all belong to Christ, we are one church, one family, and we all have to get along. And then he almost has this afterthought, and he says, So none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. Then there was the family of Stephanus. Of course, that I baptized too, but no one else as far as I can remember. And this is a very interesting kind of afterthought, because the question is, how did Paul baptize the family of Stephanus? Or what is he referring to here? And I think what he means is he baptized Stephen, Stephanus and Stephen, it's the same name. Is he saying, I baptized Stephen? And how did he baptize Stephen? He baptized him by stoning him. So the Saul that's mentioned here in the book of Acts is actually Paul. In other words, Paul participated in Stephen's stoning, which gave Stephen a baptism by blood. That's another way to reference martyrs, is they were baptized in blood. And Paul is remembering that certain incident, how he baptized Stephen. And I think it's very interesting to think of it that way, that Stephen's stoning becomes a baptism. And as we all know, a baptism is a way of putting on Christ, being united to Christ, or becoming like Christ. And of course, in martyrdom, one becomes like Christ by portraying Christ's death to others, Christ's love to others, Christ's kingdom to others in this world. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what Paul is remembering. And so, this is what we celebrate on St. Stephen's Day. So, in summary, on St. Stephen's Day, we hear a little bit of St. Stephen's speech to the Judeans. And we hear how Abraham had this faith and this loyalty. He trusted God to go from his homeland into a land that God would show him, and this would become an inheritance. And we can connect that to Christ in the same way. Through Christ's birth, he's going from his homeland in heaven, if you will, into our fallen world, and we become Christ's inheritance. Then we hear about Solomon in the temple, and how now, at Christmas, God doesn't dwell in a building, 
but in the person of Jesus Christ. And then finally, we see how Stephen is a witness of Christ by being stoned to death, and how that is connected to St. Paul. So I hope I've shown a little bit on how St. Stephen draws both on the Old Testament with Abraham and Solomon in order to put Jesus in his context, but also shows us how we can continue to live that context in our own lives. Stephen lived it in his life all the way to his own death and showed us how we too can be witnesses of Christ. Now, maybe this doesn't mean being stoned to death, but we are all called to be witnesses of Christ in our world around us. We're all called to receive our crowns by putting on Christ. So I pray that you have a blessed new year, that 2021 brings you health and joy, and that 2021 is a revelation of God's kingdom. Amen. I'll see you next week.